You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to today's episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. As always, I say that every episode because I really mean it. I genuinely do appreciate you giving me your time, and I think you're going to really enjoy this episode with Mr. Steve Rose. He has quite the interesting story and a good message for anybody trying to pursue a creative endeavor. Before we do that, I want to jump into some quick business real quick because every time I do... You guys take action and it helps keep this thing going. So if you are buying gear, if you are looking to make a gear purchase in the near future, if you could look at ToneMob.com slash Sweetwater or ToneMob.com slash Reverb for that, I would really appreciate it. If you're planning on buying from Sweetwater or Reverb and you use those links, which are also in the show notes and also on the website, if you go to ToneMob.com, You'll see a tab that says support the show. If you click that, it'll have all that info in it. And the last thing, a lot of you know this, especially those that have been part of the text chat. I've been working on an EP, and I'm trying to get it released before the end of February. So I'm really excited about that. It's taken a weird direction that I guess kind of makes sense, considering all the effects that I own and love. And uh, yeah, things are coming out that I didn't expect. So I've been really focused on that since the beginning of the year. And since, well, since the end of December, really, I've been trying to focus creatively so I can actually put out some music for the sake of putting out music and not just demoing pedals and things. So that's why the YouTube channel has slowed down a little bit or slowed down a lot. Rather, I will be getting back to more of that content so you can go over there and subscribe if you want to stay abreast with all of that. But yeah, I will be putting out an EP of some sort under some project name that I haven't figured out yet. I'm I'm really trying to crank this thing out and I'm really trying to meet that deadline I set with the folks in the text chat of February 28th for a release of some sort. If you'd like to join in that conversation, I've been, you know, talking back and forth and sharing tracks with people in that text chat. The number for that is 503-751-8577, and that is just going to be a conversation back and forth with me. I send out a mass text to everybody around some sort of subject. Sometimes it's music business, sometimes it's something to do with the EP, sometimes it's food, sometimes it's just a, hey, how's it going, let me know type of thing. And then it's just a, a conversation back and forth between you and I, and there's a lot of exclusive stuff over there and a lot of random stuff over there. So if random conversation is what you like, 503-751-8577 is the place to text in and chat about that. Uh, you can find that in the show notes as well. And it's been so much fun. This experiment has really paid off. So, so stoked to have all those people over there. And if you want to join me, that's cool. And if not, 
I get it. Just keep tuned into the show, and I will try to keep everybody informed about everything that's going on. Okay, I will shut up so I can start talking again here with my dude, Mr. Steve Rose. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wylan, and with me today, I have Steve Rose. How's it going, man? Good. How are you, Blake? I'm doing great. I've been looking forward to doing this for a while. I'm glad we finally made it happen. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. So a uh, little backstory for the listeners. I was digitally introduced to Steve uh, through Ken from Hero Junior, who's been on the show before, and I've been doing the uh, live stream with on the Orange Amps feed, uh, the Facebook and YouTube feed every Monday, basically since lockdown happened. So uh, if you want to check all that stuff out, you can. But Steve has uh, quite the interesting story. He's a guitar fanatic who eventually became a traveling photographer and for Journey. And you've, you've shot I mean, if you follow his Instagram, you've shot, feels like everybody. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'll be really interested to hear your tale and hear your, well, I mean, no pun intended, but to hear your journey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, we'll see where that goes. So what, what is your story? When did you first start playing and how did it lead to this, you know, rock photography so- life? Sure. So um, here's where it started. The it, I was um, probably ten years old, and the uh, "Sweet Child of Mine" video from Guns N' Roses. The beginning of the video, when Slash plugs his Les Paul in, that that's all I needed. Like that plugged me into the world of guitars and to music and all of that. Um, and so from then on, I became like just obsessed with with Guns N' Roses, you know, specifically because that's what kind of got me into it. But just down the the road of guitars, and then I uh, I didn't start playing guitar until years later. I was nineteen, and I was I left I you know I it was a Friday. Um, I got out early from my classes in, in college. I stopped by Guitar Center, and I saw this black Epiphone Les Paul, and it was like a like a scratch and dent kind of thing at Guitar Center. So I got it for a pretty good price, and from then on. I just started playing. So the first song I learned on guitar was Sweet Child of Mine. Like, that's where I started. There wasn't anything, you know, like, you know, Twinkle, Twinkle, Happy Birthday. You know those easier songs that people will start with, Smoke on the Water? None of that. It was Sweet Child of Mine. That's that's what got me going. So it took a lot of practice, as you can imagine, to just get the dexterity down and, and all of that. But within a few weeks, I was I was playing the song. And and so then I was just hooked on guitars. Like, like getting that one... I was like, oh, I, I need to get more. And I, you know, I was still learning how to play. I had no business getting anything else. I needed to spend some time playing it. But within a couple of weeks, I went and I got an Epiphone uh, Gold Top Les Paul. And then I had two. And I was like, okay, cool. I could have now guitars in different tunings. And I would just work on stuff and just play in my room and, and all of that. Well, then, as, as I started to learn more about guitars and, and, and the, you know, different bands or musicians, I was like, well, I need a you know, a Floyd Rose. So I went to back to Guitar Center and I traded the, or returned the gold top and got the, a guitar with a Floyd Rose. 
And then I was like, I have no idea how to set up a Floyd Rose. So <laughs> I went back and I returned that and I got a Strat. And so I did these returns because like as the, like I'd be interested in the music, I'd also want to like try out these different types of guitars. So that happened like 20 something times. And I didn't know about like return policies and commission. So at, at the end, finally, the, the manager of the store just said, you got to stop coming in. Like you're just returning guitars every week. You know, but for me, I didn't see it. I just thought I was like, all right, I'm trying this. All right, I didn't like it. I'll go back and try this. And, you know, not knowing that, you know, they were losing money and people were losing out on commissions every time I do a return. So I said, okay. So I just, I stopped going in there and I just kept the, the one guitar I had and, and I just played. Well, a few years later, I ended up applying to work at that store and ended up being the operations manager at that store. <laughs> so, so I went, you know, within like four years, I went from a customer they told not to come back to the second in charge of the store. Um, and that, that was, it was great for me to, to work there and be around all the gear, but it was bad because most of my paycheck just went back to the store. I mean, they could have just <laughs> paid me in, in gift cards at that point. I've heard that story um, before. Yeah, so I uh, I was able to then you know try gear out at the store and and before you know the the people would you know before the store opened I'm there a couple of hours before anyway so I'd have time to to check stuff out or to jam with other employees you know as we're quote unquote working or getting stuff ready before they opened so it was it was really cool to be exposed to that and to have those opportunities to to just check out gear and to play and then that you know obviously being a gear nerd, being able to go to NAMM for the first time was amazing. And, and the, the year I went, um, it was 2003. I, you know, I didn't know not to go on a Saturday, right. Cause I didn't have the experience. So that was like a nightmare just of how crowded it was. And that, I mean, it wasn't that bad to compare to what it is now in 2003, but it was still pretty crazy. But that my first time at NAMM, I met Dimebag. And I said, you know, I stood in the Seymour Duncan line to get, you know, something signed from him. And he said, hey, before we're, I'm signing anything, we're doing a tequila shot. So first time meeting Dimebag, I, I do a tequila shot with him before he signs an autograph for me. And we got a picture. And so that's, that was a pretty remarkable moment, you know, just having that experience, especially, you know, shortly thereafter, you know, he was, he was killed. So just to have that special moment was, was pretty fantastic for me. Um, but, but since then, so since, you know, since 97, when I got my, my first guitar to now, I've probably owned like 300 and something guitars Whoa. that I've bought and returned and, and all of that. And so now currently my collection is about five guitars, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's been a lot. I've played everything. So I kind of know what I'm looking for and, and I've, and I can also offer advice and insight to those that are either looking to start with the instrument and what they're looking for or, or those that have played or are looking to either upgrade or find something different. So I have a lot of knowledge just on, on everything that I've played. So 300's a lot, especially for, yeah. you know, for your average guy who's not, you know, Slash. Uh, that's probably right. a drop in the bucket for Slash. But, uh, <laughs> you know, how do you whittle it down to five? Because I don't even know if I could do that. I, I think I've got, I can't remember, 15 or so, which I had understand is a dumb amount of guitars for any one person to have but i don't know if i could really whittle it down from there how did you well i don't five? well 
it's not that I whittled it down to five. I'm trying to build it back up from okay. from a couple, you know. But it's it's more that um, either the, the the things I want I can't get yet, or the things that uh, I you know I'm not sure of. So I want to play some first and, and decide where I want to go next with what I need because you know, ultimately they're tools, right? And I want to make sure I have enough variety for whatever I'm playing. I have like a tool for that occasion. Yeah. Um, and I, I would probably have more than I do, but I also have a three-year-old and, you know, and he, he likes having stuff too. Oh, so those kids, they are. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. But, but again, for him, like he's, I've tried to introduce music to him at a young age. So when he was, when he had just turned one, he was like a year and two months, I bought him a drum kit, um, for his room. Cause I took him to a guitar center and I put him on the drums and, he did, you know, in my opinion, he did pretty well, like grasping the concept even at one. So I got one of those Ludwig Questlove breakbeats kits, which are like smaller in size, so like apartment friendly. And I changed the heads to like the um, silent stroke heads, so they're not as loud. And then Zildjian makes these cymbals that are kind of perforated throughout, so it's like thirty percent less noise than a regular cymbal would make. Mm-hmm. And so it's this little, like, it's a full-size drum kit, but it's just a little bit more portable with more apartment-friendly um, things added to it, like the drum heads and the cymbals. And so, you know, he's he's three now, but, you know, for the past two years, he slept, you know, five feet from a drum kit, and he always has access to it if he ever wants to play. And and he loves playing music and or making music at this point. So, like, just, just making sounds. So drums, he'll take one of my guitars, and he'll try doing that, I you know, for... For Christmas, you know, this past year, we got him, I got him a little Squire mini Strat, and he's just been playing with that, too. So it's it's pretty fun. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a weird balance as a parent. Like, for me, I, I really want my kids to get into music, and, uh-huh. and I, I would love them to get as much out of it as, as I have. But I'm also, like, trying to straddle that line of not being the musician equivalent of a football dad. You know, right. when exactly. yeah. when your kid doesn't, and I don't mean like being a football enthusiast is bad. I'm just saying that's that classic stereotype of like, you're going to play because I did, you know, like, I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, I don't want to push him away from it. Yeah. I just want to make it available. And if he gravitates toward it and wants to pursue it, then then it's made available to him to do so. But if not, that's fine. It just for me like it's so hard to find a drummer to play with. So I figured I'd make one and then <laughs> hopefully he'd, and he grew up, he'd want to play drums and then it'd be cool. We have a little band. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty spoiled. My, uh, my good friend, Joshua, uh, he, he's had his drum kit here in my, uh, my shred shed for like, I don't even know how long it's been here at this point. Um, and it's a really nice Gretsch kit that we uh, recorded mm-hmm. We, we we all kind of went together and, and helped him pick it out when we were recording our record several years ago. Um, but it's been at my house for quite a while. And, uh, you know, I'm not a very good drummer, but, like, it's definitely sparked some interest in, in my five-year-old. He's like, hmm, what are those? That yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, so imagine, like, for me, I wish my parents would have, would have put a guitar in my hands at five or just gave me the opportunity to find it, you know? And so I'm just trying to give him those opportunities. I think like you are too. And if something that they want to embrace, then great. You know, there's nothing wrong with, with learning an instrument and having fun and playing music, you know? So, and so that's, so for me is 
I would going back to the guitar thing, how I came down to five, it's I've I'm I'd I want now my new number is fifteen since you gave me that number. So All my, right. <laughs> I, I wanna get up to to the Blake fifteen. But um I just I try to think of things like that I I know I'll I'll use or I, I want to play. I don't want to just get a guitar that I like the way it looks but won't use it because then it doesn't really serve me a purpose mm-hmm. when I can use that money and apply it to some to another guitar that I would play. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm I'm very much the same way. I I I have a, a lot of variety. I only have a little bit of crossover with my my two humbucker Les Pauls. Like I have I have. Mm-hmm. A, a different version i have a custom and a special that both have two humbuckers but other than that everything's kind of loaded out differently and and okay. that's, that's how i always look for things i was like i'm like okay i don't have something mm-hmm. with like right now i'm like i don't have anything with filter trons maybe i need something with filter trons is that how you, you do yes and i actually do have filter trons i have um uh, a gretsch master built steven stern duo jet oh man that's hot yeah, and it's got the the champagne sparkle finish, so that's so like I have like a Gretsch Masterbuilt one, you know, and you know now the Masterbuilt team has kind of expanded a little more with how many people are doing it. But for the longest time, it was just Stephen was like the main you know lead master builder there, mm-hmm. and so to have a, a Stern guitar is fantastic. It, just the craftsmanship alone, and it's and the detail is amazing, um, and I have. So, so I have the Filtertron, you know, uh, I just got a few months ago the um, 70th anniversary uh, Fender Broadcaster from the custom shop. Oh, man. So, and, and the neck on that is, is, is awesome. It's like this, this V to like, it, it tapers to like a C kind of thing. And it's, it's a fantastic guitar. You know, I've got, uh, last year I got the, or er, 2019 now, the 60th anniversary um, 59 Les Paul. So I got that, you know, so I'm just, so I got the humbucker, I got a single coil, you know, I've got the Filtertron. Um, when I, when I started playing in 97, Fender came out with that Hendrix tribute Woodstock guitar, where it's, it's just like a mirror image. Like even the Fender logo is reversed. Um, and so it's, it's backwards, but if you put it in a mirror, you know, it looks forward. And so you're, you're playing, you know, it's a right-handed guitar flip left-handed so you can kind of get an idea of what Jimmy had to do when he played. So I just got that one because I always wanted it from when I started playing in 97. So I got that one just out of like the something I've always wanted. And I can always use a, a Strat, you know. For me, I'm usually like a Les Paul player, but it's good to have a Strat in the, in the toolbox. I mean, yeah, the Strat is one that I just, I always seem to like put it to the back burner. I, I yep. love how they sound. I think they're I think they're a great sounding guitar. They're not aesthetically my favorite most of the time. Um, yeah. I don't hate them or anything, but it's it's I think it's because and, I, and the Les Paul is like this, but I would say it's like number two. When you think of like stereotypical guitar, and you say that to your average person walking around, I think you probably think of a Strat. Uh, well, look at yeah, look at it this way. What's the, what's the guitar emoji? It's a red Strat. Yeah, so, so it's kind of like eh. so, yeah, that's. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. It, they they even, yeah. <laughs> they even picked it. I didn't ever. I never thought of that. But you know, so for me, it's always been like, oh, it's kind of, it's kind of generic. So like the strats I want are the ones that like classic players don't want. I like want the big headstock, you know, 
like all black with a rosewood board, you know, which is kind of the opposite yeah. of what most people want. Well, there is a strat, my new dream strat. I saw it a few weeks ago. Um, Carlos Lopez from the Fender Custom Shop posted it. It's when he did. It's a, I think it's a tangerine, like distressed one, rosewood, big headstock. You know, when I get the money, I'm going to have him build that one mm-hmm. because that's that's like the perfect you know perfect one to me. I, I I just love the way it looks and you know I'll send it to you when we get off this. But it's 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 so cool. That sounds right up my alley. That sounds very good. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Oh, guitars are wonderful. <laughs> they are. <laughs> so what is uh, what is next on the list then? I want a Les Paul Junior. Oh, good man. Good man. Yeah, I don't have I don't have a P ninety, and I just I'm just debating do I want a single cut or a double cut, um, but that's I know I want just a single P ninety though, and uh, and then just you know explore all the tones within there. What color? TV yellow. TV yellow. Very nice. I, I feel like yeah. if you're gonna go TV yellow, then you then you almost have to go single cut. That seems that. Yeah, I'm a little you, bit biased you, though. I prefer the single cuts. That's just me. Yeah, see, well, and I've, I, I initially thought that, but then I'm thinking, well, I have. Now we talk about okay, we have like the tone for the P90. I don't have a P90, but I already have a single cut guitar in the Les Paul. Mm-hmm. Maybe I go double cut just because it's different. Right. Right. Just, but you know, it's tough when I. I don't know if you got a chance to see that um, that Gibson video with Keith Nelson that came out a couple of weeks ago, but they went through all of his gear and he has a number of TV yellow juniors, both single and double. And I was like, yeah, those are so cool. So I, I sent him a, a message after I saw it and I was like, I'm going to get a, a junior. It's going to be TV yellow and it's going to be your fault, you know, because <laughs> they're, they're just, they just look so cool. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the thing that's next for me. Yeah. I like that. I'm, I'm a big Les Paul junior fan. <laughs> okay. I'm it's, that's my that's my well and I had to and the listeners already all know this but that 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 is literally my burning building guitar is my my grandpa's Les Paul Jr. which was almost a thing last year right it, with the fire yeah, exactly I mean I had to put my yeah. money where my mouth was because we we got to stage two I think level two whatever they were calling it which meant yeah. pack your stuff and be ready to leave uh, and so. I packed up my truck with all of the random odds and ends and foods and whatever things I could think of. And the one, the one electric I took was, was that, was that Les Paul Jr.? So, yeah. Um, it was like, well, I'm going to be real sad if all this goes away, but, <laughs> but it did, it was really a, 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 you know, in, in retrospect, that was awful. And, and, and it was even more awful for a lot more people. But for me, it was really a perspective shifter. Like I love all this stuff. I love all this gear. I love all the pedals that I have and everything. Like I'm so spoiled for all this stuff. But you know, when it came down to it, it was like, well, I guess if this all goes, I guess it all goes, you know, like I wasn't nearly like nearly as broken up about it as I would have imagined. I was just like, it is what it is. I got, I got my family. 
I got my junior. <laughs> uh, hey, at least you mentioned right. your family first, so that's good. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. I had what the point is. I I had what was important, you know. And if I ended up, I was going to be sleeping in a tent. That's just a, that's fine. I had right. I had what was needed, and it was really like it really put things into perspective for me. It was like, okay, what's really important, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's scary that it, it gets to that point, but now you, you kind of realize, like, you know, what, like you said, what is important in the perspective about it. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure the other 14 guitars weren't offended that you didn't pick them. but They might have know, been a little yeah, bit. A... <laughs> but they still let me play them, so I guess, well, there you go. I guess yeah. <laughs> they're not that mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing to go through something like that. But, I mean... I say go through. I didn't go through anything. It, it, exactly what I hoped happened, happened. I packed the stuff in my truck, and then a few days later, I unpacked the stuff out of my truck. Which is the, the which is what you want to That's happen. what I was you know? hoping for. Yeah. <laughs> so, you probably had been, never been more excited to unpack a bunch I, of gear. I was ever. so stoked to just unpack everything and yeah. put it away. <laughs> I was like, yes, this is what I wanted. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was a, that was a strange time. And, you know... In Oregon, that just doesn't, at least in, in my neck of the woods in Oregon, that just doesn't really happen. A lot of people mm-hmm. are like, oh, those West Coast fires. I'm like, not here, like not in the right. Lama Valley. That's not normal. Um, yeah. So it was it was very strange uh, to experience. Cause basically, what usually happens is our rains roll in right around that fiery season for a lot of other folks. And so everything gets wet before it's a problem. But we had this like... It was the weirdest thing. We had this like hairdryer turn on. Like it was they said like a few days before like hey, high wind warning, it's going to be really hot and dry. Nobody do anything flammable at all. And right at 5 p.m. when they said it was going to happen, I walked out of the door out of the, walked outside from the shed after recording and I was like this feels like somebody is blowing a hairdryer at me from like 20 yards away. It was really weird. Like, oh, it was really blowing, and it was, like, just hot, dry air. I've never felt that before. That was really strange. Uh, Wow, that's pretty scary, man. Yeah, no, it was immediately like, oh, no, this could be bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But largely, uh, everybody I know has got away unscathed. I know some people didn't, but everyone in, in my personal circle did, so... Okay, that's great. Enough of that. I don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> okay. So, so what's your what's your Filtertron guitar? What are you looking at? Um, well, you know, I've been uh talking with Matt over at Fidelity Guitars in uh the UK. And okay. uh he's got one he's well, he's got a couple different models, but I'm really considering getting something from him with uh and I'm thinking of going with his uh there's a company over there called Mojo Pickups, and they they have yeah. a P90 sized uh, Filtertron style. Uh, and I'm thinking I'm going to go with with may- possibly a double like neck end and bridge of that, right. just because I don't have that that kind of sound at all. So that's that's possibly where I'm going to go. Um, I could okay. use a nice big old Gretsch hollow body though, also. So I'm not really a hundred percent sure. Well, I've had a couple of those; they're great. They're just a lot of fun. <laughs> they are and it's it's something different you know they're they're just you play differently with them you write differently when you're playing them so it's you know every guitar is like that that's what i love about the the variety of the guitars you know i did an interview with uh 
AWOL pedals here recently. And he said something that I, I had never really considered before, but I, the more I think about it, it's really true. He's like the electric guitar specifically is like almost the, the most expressive instrument other than the human voice. And it's like, wow, you know, that really is true. Like with the amount, like even if you just take the guitar and amp, the interaction between those two items is almost limitless. But then you add in all the effects that we have these days. And it's like, man, you really can like get so many different sounds out of, you know, this relatively simple technology. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's insane. And it just continues to, to develop and expand too. Definitely. So before we get to like just off into general the general weeds, which we we started to do, we 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 didn't talk about the journey journey. How did you start touring around <laughs> with them? How'd that happen? Okay, so I think I think my my gear obsession and you know I've I've played in a few bands and and all of that. So I think that the experience with with being around music helped me to learn to photograph music. So here's how that happened in, what year was it? In 2014, um, end of, for Christmas 2014, my wife got me, um, let me back up. I was starting to take photos with my iPhone, as many do, and I didn't have a, a lot of interesting subjects around me, so I took pictures of my cat. Well, that cat photo like I posted it for, you know, cats of Instagram and then they, they used it and they posted it, you know, what's part of their, their photos for that month. Well, then they asked me if they could put it in a cats of Instagram book. So the cat picture that got published in a book got me thinking about photography. Now I have no training in photography, just experience taking pictures and, and just doing a lot of it. So then for, for in 2014, that, that Christmas, my wife got me a camera and it was like a kit where you get like, you know, a, you know, a camera, a cheap lens and a, a bag, just like a starter kit. Well, come around to 2015 for Nam that year, I got a, um, a press pass to go to one of the Nam jams. And this particular one was steel Panther at the Grove of Anaheim. So I, I had the press pass, but I didn't have the one that allowed me like in the photo pit. I could just, it allowed me to bring my camera into the venue and just take pictures from wherever I was able to get, you know, a place in line. So I took photos from there. Um, I watched like YouTube videos about concert photography to see like how to set up your camera and and things like to look for prior to that. So I kind of had some working knowledge that I had to then apply to the situation. When I got home, I showed my wife the photos after I'd edited them. And she thought they were good. I, you know, it was kind of fun doing it, like fun coming home with like these memories of a show that you've seen um, and having it not be like on a camera, like on a phone or, or video like that. So something just a little more high quality. So I was like, okay, I, I really liked taking those, you know, those photos. And I, I then learned about like contacting publicists and getting photo passes and needing outlets to shoot for. So I worked on that for, for 2015. Um, and I did, you know, a handful of shows that year, you know, little by little, um, getting better gear, um, having to sell guitars to get camera gear, which, which still hurts. Cause I had to sell one of those Gibson Dave Grohl 335s. Oh man. Yeah. I had, I had two of those in my life. I had 
in in 2006 or eight when they came out the first time in black and in Pelham Blue, I had the black one, which was like selling for like 10 grand on eBay, you know, like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and I sold when I sold it. I, I mean, I took a loss just selling it for what I paid back then. Um, and then I had the gold one that they came back out with um, that I had to sell for a lens. But so that's where where a gear for guitars and gear for cameras like, you know, met in the middle and I had to make a choice. But um, but I so I, you know, I started taking more pictures in, in 2015 and, and learning how to to just do do the job, like be a concert photographer. Um, knowing where I'd, where I'd want to stand and anticipating where to be. So if a guitar player goes there to, to do a solo, I have the, like, I'm in the right spot for, like, the best opportunity to get a shot. Um, and it doesn't always work out, but then when it does, you know, you, you end up with a pretty good photo. So I, I realized that I kind of approached this like a salesman would approach, like, territories. I said, okay, I really like taking concert photos, and if I get good enough, then maybe someone will hire me to do this. And I got to work on, like, that's what I want to focus on my time. I wish I wouldn't have found this passion in, like, in my, like, mid to late 30s. Because I felt like, had I done this in my 20s, I'd be further along than I am. But I'm just glad I was able to find, like, the thing that I feel like I was meant to do. So, in 2016, I I did, like, I, I shot... How many shows did I shoot? I did three a week for for roughly a year. Wow. And um, my goal was to, because, you know, because I live in L.A., and it's the second largest media market, and I'm just getting started in this, no one's going to give me a photo pass because I, I haven't established myself. So what I would do is is take whenever the band would tour, if they have also like an Orange County date or a Santa Barbara date, Anywhere I could drive within two hours, San Diego, I would go do the show there because it'd be less media request or availability at these smaller venues or cities compared to like an LA venue. And so that's what I would do. I would, I would drive within two hours or so to every venue to shoot three songs because that's all you get to shoot normally is just three songs and you're done. Oh, really? So, yeah. So... Let's say a song is three or four minutes. You you have like nine to twelve minutes to get all of your photos. So I would drive two hours to work for twelve minutes to edit for two hours when I got home. And then do they like kick um, you out? Like you like can't walk uh, the well, show or how does that work? You, know, you can well you can stay for the show if you have a ticket, and oftentimes they'll give you a ticket. Um, but if you don't have a ticket, then they'll they'll yeah they'll escort you out. Um, so. But for me, as I got more and more into this, I was more concerned with with what I got photo wise than what the like what the show was going to be. So I've I've left so many like big shows just so I could get home and start working because that was more important to me than the actual show. But yeah, so I would you you know, you only get like, let's say, 10 minutes to to get all of your shots. But like like when I photographed Marilyn Manson, he only gives you one song and that song is three and a half minutes long. And oftentimes he'll kick you out before that. So you really only have a couple of minutes to get anything you can for Marilyn Manson. If you, you know, if someone were to shoot them, you've got to work quick because you don't have a lot of time. But other bands, you know, you'll get three songs. Some jam bands, like when I've shot Dead and Company, they give you it's a fixed time. So you'll get 10 minutes 
or 15 minutes to shoot and then you have to you know be escorted out of the photo pit so like half of one song basically yeah they just <laughs> tuned up it's like they're done tuning and you gotta leave yes but um so so from from 2016 and 2017 i just shot as much as I could. You know, I, I didn't have a kid then, so I had the availability. I would still have a day job. So there were times where I'd, I'd edit till three or four in the morning, sleep for an hour, and then go to work and work a full day only to do it again, you know, that night. Um, and and there, so there was a lot of, like, time spent, like, honing the craft and, and still trying to, like, do the day job and and figuring out, like, ways to like just how to use Lightroom for, for editing and how to make your pictures look the best that they can. And also when you're shooting the show, how to make the, the artist look the best that they can. So knowing what angles to, to look for, or, or better yet, knowing what shots not to include when sending your work to a publicist. So they, they kind of get a feel for what you do. So that's, that's how I approach it. And that's how I built it. So going into um, 2017, I shot the, um, the classic West concert out here, which was, uh, Fleetwood Mac, Journey, Earth, Wind and Fire, Eagles. It was that, that tour. It was two days at Dodger Stadium. Okay. Well, when I shot Journey, I got a shot of, of Neil Sean and, um, my, my thing was whenever I'd get home, I'd start editing for all the shows. As I said, I'd, I'd always edit when I get home. And sometimes that meant I wouldn't sleep very much before starting work the next morning. So I'd always edit when I get home and I shot Neil, posted the photos that night. His wife saw it, liked the, one of the photos I posted, contacted me and said, we like your work. We want to hire you for a show what is your availability? And I was thinking, well, they only had one date left on that festival, which was that following weekend in New York. So I figured, okay, next tour, you know, I'll get a job. But she meant that next date in New York. <laughs> so I just said, I'm available. Just let me know whatever you need. And so they flew me out to New York. Um, you know, I had I had all access, you know, I, you know, to shoot sound check. I shot the whole show, got to hang out, you know. So it was a very, very cool experience. I was, you know, treated amazing. And I immediately thought I can get really used to this pretty quickly, you know, like just this lifestyle of, of just, you know, you kind of, especially working for a top band, you kind of have to just be on your A game at all times because they're expecting your best work and you've got to just make sure you're constantly delivering that. And so then that's, you know, that's what we, I, I tried to do. And I think I achieved it because I'm still, I'm still there. So after that show, he did a couple of um, small shows. He did a, a, the following year, he did one in San Francisco to help some fire victims of a fire that happened that year. And it was the Journey Through Time show where he played a lot of early journey deep cuts. Um, and so <clears throat> then a few months later was the start of the journey Def leopard tour. And, and so I did that tour with them. Um, I did about 27 dates of that tour all across the country. So it was, it was pretty fun to, to travel the U S and, and go to all these venues and like, you know, shoot at Fenway park or 
shoot, you know, at the having all access at the forum, which was amazing, just to roam the halls and see all the history, you know, and stuff behind the scenes there and and just see all of that and to have those experiences at these, you know, stadiums. Like we played a lot of baseball stadiums. I know that we were in St. Louis and, and we played, you know, where the Cardinals play. And I was on stage to do the band photo and it was like 65,000 people there. And it's just, it's insane just to, to have like those experiences and those memories. It's something that I'll always cherish. And, and it's, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work to, to be on tour, but it's also a lot of fun. So it's, it's a, a great job. And, and last year or in 2019 journey did, a uh, a residency at Caesar's palace and they did 13 shows there. Um, and it culminated with uh, new year's Eve that oh, year nice. in, in 2019. And so the, to the Caesar's palace, that venue, the Coliseum, it's, it's a fantastic venue. It, it's, it looks amazing. The sound is great. I know Neil loved it. He said he wanted to just, play there for a year just because it was such a great experience. You know, we were treated well. Um, <clears throat> I've never been, you know, I just, I just stayed on the property cause I was the longest I was there before coming home was, um, about six days. And, and it's, it's, it was great to just, you know, hang out all day. And then at night I go to work, but my work is to take pictures of, of journey. And it's, it was pretty fun. Um, but, and, and it's great because they'll, you know, they'll fly me back and forth to, you know, for shows and stuff. So I can still get home and, and spend time with the family on off days before I'm, I'm flown back out, you know, to, to cover the show. It's such a, it's such a good story for people to hear, I think, because, you know, even on a much smaller scale, there's a very regular question that pops up in like gear forums and different things. It's like, how do I get, you know how do I get uh, manufacturers to send me stuff to do demos with? And, and like, how do I get to, you know, to do these kind of things like what you do? And it's like, the answer is you have to do what you did. You have to put in the work. You have to go do the thing. Like you were talking about, you know, trying to do it in LA. It's kind of a catch 22. They don't want you if you haven't proven yourself, but they don't give you a chance to prove yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Well, and and so going back to the what I was saying about being a salesman is I so you need a, you need like outlets to shoot for, right? You need like um, online publications that you're going to cover the show for, and then you know you'll either do a, a concert review or just send photos, and they'll they'll post them in like a gallery on their site the next morning. So my, my approach, and I think this is what helped me, was I would always edit the night before and I would have the photos to the editor by the time they got to work that morning. And a lot of the outlets I work with are back east, so I know that by the time I went to sleep, they would get to work and the, the photos would be to them, then be up to them whenever they wanted to post it. Um, and then I would find outlets specific to the types of music that I was covering. So then I could, I could own that territory, let's say for LA. So like if I covered a metal show, I use an outlet called Brave Words and they're based in Canada. Well, I'm now then the, the California guy. So anything that runs through California, I can request the show knowing that I wouldn't have any competition because I've, I've, you know, I'm their representative basically out here. And, and so that's how I, I would approach how I would do it in, in as far as getting outlets to work for and then how I would deliver my work is always get it done before I went to sleep. And then going back to that first journey show I shot at Dodger Stadium, a friend of mine said, 
you know, because he saw the photo that eventually got me hired by the band. He said, I have a very similar shot, but I didn't edit the photos until later that week when I had some free time after work. And he's like, seeing what you did, I'll never not do that because that very well could have been his opportunity that was, you know, that he was given by, you know, being hired by the band than me. But it's just how I chose to to work. And it's just because I'm so competitive with myself to try to always be better than the last show I shot that I always wanted to see like, okay, did I get anything good? Anything that I would consider like, oh, this is like my defining shot for my career to this point or, or one of those things. And I think it's, yeah, it's a lot of hard work. And like for anything, if you put in the work, you, you know, you'll get the rewards and people will give you the recognition, but there's a lot of work that has to be put in that people don't see, but you know, you're doing it to get to the point where you are. And that can be applied to anything. Like you're saying, like people asking you about, you know, endorsements or exposure or anything. I mean, even this podcast that you're doing, it's not successful because you just decided like, hey, this is going to be the thing. You put a lot of work into it, both the time spent to talking to others and also behind the scenes to get it to where it is. Yeah, I mean, it is a ton of back and forth you know and trying to schedule and then things fall through and then the app doesn't work and then you know like the whole thing like it's uh you know i have hours and hours i don't even know how many hours of conversation recorded and published but there's easily twice that amount of time spent you know trying to push the thing forward I, i was in a podcaster like forum here recently and somebody posted a question they're like how many hours a week do you spend working on your podcast? And I was like, uh, 60 to 80. I have no idea. Yeah. Like I have literally no right. idea. How, if I was being paid by the hour, it would be substantially less than minimum wage. I have no idea how many yeah, hours definitely. I put into it, but that's not the point. The point is it's a creative endeavor that I enjoy and that I, I, I want to do so I'm willing I'm willing to do that and I think that's what separates the people who get to do those things oftentimes from the people who don't um and it's not always that there's always a healthy dose of luck and just things that are totally outside of your control like you you did all that work in hopes that maybe Neil would see the shot you know yeah. <laughs> like maybe he might see it and he just happened to you know and you know what? For and at the time, I was never thinking like, "Are they going to hire me?" It was, "Hey, maybe he'll like this photo," and that's that was all I needed. I know he he saw it and he liked it, and and great, I did a good job, in you know my opinion, and I'll I'll keep working at it. Well, it and and like you said, a lot of it is luck because I feel like for me, having no formal experience and only starting two years prior. To being hired by one of the biggest bands ever was a fair amount of luck. And also, I was just, again, lucky that his wife happened to be looking at Instagram that night right. and, and saw the photo. <laughs> well, and it's kind of interesting. I never really thought about it. But specifically for what you do, that approach of getting things out there as quickly as possible is really helpful. Because, like, you know, I know for a fact that, like, I've went to concerts before. And then immediately after the show, like, right before I went to bed, I check the band's Instagram. Like, did they post anything about the show? Like, is there any, and you know, these, these people that are in these bands, they're human. And a lot of them are on social too. And you know, when they're done with the show, they go back to the bus and and they're like, all right, time to crash. And you know that some of them are cruising Instagram before they go to (laughs) bed. Like they're just like us, you know? So 
that is kind of an interesting thing that, you know, while it's still fresh in their head, you know, the experience they just had is still fresh in their head, and then they see this great shot. It's kind of like this one-two right. punch. of like, oh, man. Had, had they saw the same shot six months later, they'd probably be like, that's cool. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, and moved on right. with their life. Yeah, and, and so it's things like that where it's like a lot of it is just right place, right time. A lot of it's luck, and a, a lot of it is just like maybe this was meant to be. Like maybe this just continues to reaffirm like I'm doing like what I'm supposed to be doing because it's being so well received. It is kind of interesting, though, that, and this isn't 100% of the case 100% of the time, but very often the harder you work at something, the luckier you tend to get. It's weird how that yeah. is, you know? It's definitely it's just kind of a happenstance, I guess. Oh, I think part of it is you're 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 working hard to put yourself in position to maybe get lucky, and you're just doing it more often, kind of like what you're saying. Um, and I think part of it is just the experience of doing it and kind of knowing where to be. Yeah, because you don't know, you know, I, another question I've gotten is like, how do you get so-and-so on the podcast? And I was like, do you know how many messages I send? and just fingers crossed that maybe somebody might see them like and most of the time they don't so but once in a while they do and that's exactly what i have for for me because i i still uh will send out because you know i i still approach it now well maybe not this past year because there weren't really any shows but the way i approach concerts is the way I did when I first started trying to do 300 shows a year in that I still send, you know, my photo requests to the publicist as soon as the show is announced, I follow up, I'm always, you know, kind to them and I'm respectful and I'm patient knowing that I'm not the only person sending them the request and that hasn't changed. So even though I'm in a position now where I'm like, a touring photographer and I'm getting paid to do what I do because all of these other, you know, before I got paid to tour, there's no money in concert photography. Of course. You, you know, so you're not only are you only getting 10 minutes to shoot, you're also doing it for free. So I still have that approach and I'll shoot as many shows as I can just for the experience. So I always want to try to get better and apply that to the next situation that I'm in, in the photo pit. And you can apply that to literally any creative endeavor. That's why I thought it would be so great to talk to you about this, because this is a little bit outside of the normal wheelhouse of what I'm talking about. But it's all the same. It's all the same thing. Like, the more you do it, the more you put in, the more, very likely, the more you're going to get out of it. And that's just been a reoccurring theme. You know, I, uh, I have this text chat that I do with people, and a big topic of conversation on that has been like, how to make, you know, we're specifically talking about music, but how to make a creative endeavor work in the modern era. And consistency of output is like the most important thing. Quality is important too. You want to do the best that you can, but being consistent is almost more important, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, I, and, and I think that's, that's true. You, like, like I chose to, like I'll, I'll post photos like on Facebook or sometimes even Twitter, but I chose to make Instagram the, the focus of, of where I put my work because that's where I got discovered. And I figured that it's, it's working if that's how it happened so far. And I just conti- I don't, I don't try to post multiple times a day on Instagram or 
daily, but I try to be fairly regular and frequent with what I post and then give a good variety of what I've done. So like you said earlier, like I've shot a lot of bands or a lot of artists and I try to, you know, put that out there just so like people who are looking at my work can see that there's a, a variety of everything. What has been like, because you've, you've been to so many at this point, what's been your favorite show memory? Was there like some, some particular standout night for you? Uh, whoa. Um, journey related or otherwise? Just in any, any, anything you've, you've, you've shot um, hundreds of shows. So. I have, yeah, I've had, <laughs> um, favorite show memory. Let's see here. doesn't have to be your favorite. Just one that pops out to you. Well, there's a few. I mean, when before Journey in that St. Louis show I talked about, before the show, I went back to Neil's dressing room and I played one of his Les Pauls. Um, and that was pretty cool. It was uh, the 59 reissue of the Michael Bloomfield model, like that signature running mm-hmm. good from the custom shop. And that was a fantastic guitar. And I told him, I got to get one of these. He's like, I got a few of them. But he never said he was going to sell me one. He just told me he had a few. So I got to find one of my own and we can compare. <laughs> we can compare. Um, but, I, oh, my favorite show memory, easy, is last in, in Caesar's Palace, October, um, Neil was going to, uh, the, the last Journey show of the run for the initial part of the residency ended in October, and then it picked up again in December. Well, the last Journey show, um, the next night, Joe Bonamassa was playing. So... Joe came in and sat in on a Journey song, and then the next night, Neil sat in on a Bonamassa song. Well, when Joe came to the to soundcheck for Journey, Neil had a, a 59 sent over that he bought, like a real 59. Whoa. And there were some questions about the legitimacy of the guitar. Um, just, you know, because when you get those guitars, you, you, know, you don't know where they come from unless it's from like a reputable place and all of that. So it was, it was, and I, I'm kind of like a nerd about the bursts anyway. So it was great to be kind of a fly on the wall as Neil and Joe were kind of like looking at this. And then Joe's tech, Mike Hickey, is like the foremost expert on bursts. So just to learn what I could from him as they were going through it. But at one point it was me, Mike, and then Adam, who's, Neil's tech just going over this guitar just the three of us talking about this does it have this let me call this guy and just to do all of that before the show was a pretty like remarkable thing for me just given like because it's a vintage guitar and it's one of those like you know holy grail kind of instruments to be part of that conversation was fantastic that's amazing that would be so cool yeah so I've I haven't played any of Neil's Neil has two fantastic bursts He's got um, zero or nine zero six four three. That's the serial number. I have them memorized because, like I said, I'm a nerd. All right, so he's got nine zero six four three and nine zero six four nine zero six nine six. Okay. Well, here's what's interesting about both of those. Nine zero six four three is in the like the nine zero six four range, or like the like are pretty remarkable like serial numbers for burst at that time. Well, 0643, I think it's like one away from Bernice, which is Gary Rossington's Les Paul that's in the Rock and Roll Hall Mm -hmm. of Fame, his 59 burst. And then 696 is one away from the Peter Green Kirk Hammett burst. 
Okay. So, yeah. And so it's, he's got a, two of them, like they're a good batch of, of guitars. So it's, it's pretty cool. But I've, been, I've seen them both. I've shot them both. I haven't played them. But I did play one of Bonamassa's 59s real briefly. And it was his, um, his Skinner burst guitar. It's, it's so crazy how this very particular color and very particular year has achieved the status that it has in our guitar playing minds. <laughs> yeah, like three, th- like you know, fifty-eight to sixty, they made like seven hundred and like less than eight hundred guitars, right? That in that run, roughly, and they're just like this mythical. And some are great, and some are duds. And that's the problem is you don't know what it is. If they're great, they're probably owned by someone you know notable. Mm-hmm. And if they're duds, there's a few on reverb right now. So, <laughs> right. Know, so you don't know. I mean, my one of my photographer friends, he he sent me a text last week, and he said, "Hey, this friend of mine is looking for a burst in two days." And I said, "A real burst?" He's like, "Yeah, he needs it in two days." And I was like, "I don't know what the immediacy is, but who just gets a call saying I need to find a like who wants a three hundred thousand dollar guitar?" I need it right now. Give it to me. But, so I was one of the phone calls to like locate this burst for this guy. And I sent him a, a like a list of like the available bursts of the stores that I knew that had them, but I don't know if, you know, if he called any of them, but I just like that. I was one of the go-tos for this burst hunt. Uh, and <laughs> it is kind of funny. I'm trying to imagine what the scenario was, why he needs it in two days. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I don't know what it's for. I mean, a photo shoot, uh, he's going out of town you know, bring your own burst party. I don't it's know. Like it's, but it's like has all the kind of vibes of like a drug dealer who's about to skip town, but he just needs to, to achieve his dream. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's what I would do. I mean, I mean yeah. I, you know, it's just like, I got to go back to the cartel. Uh, yeah. But I, I really need a burst before I go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's got a, any burst laying around? And I found him 159 in like 360s, but it's, uh, I mean, it's tough. I need a burst, a clon, and a dumble right now. Before yeah, I leave. here we go. <laughs> Where can I find it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a million dollars right there is what you just mentioned. The clon is an interesting one, right? I remember, you know, when I first started really, really getting nerdy about pedals and the clon was like $1,100 or so. And I was like, yeah. that's obscene. And now they're like three to five. I'm yeah. like, what? what is going on? Like... Uh, uh, that one, I, I mean, I like it. It's a great circuit, but man, I don't know if I could, uh, I don't know if I can justify that to me. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it. I mean, I, when I got into pedals for a little bit, I still kind of am, but not, not as much. I had a period of time. And, and like you said, back then when I was looking, they were about 1300 or so, Mm -hmm. you know, if you could find them. And I was like, eh, you know, and, but now, you know, they did that. You know, those ones after, was it Finnegan did those what, KTR ones? Right. Um, and then there's so many others, like, clones out there. I feel like it's going to come close. I mean, yeah, it's not as cool to see a little centaur on your pedal board, but, you know, you also have more money to buy other stuff. <laughs> you can buy, you can get that and then get the Strifecta, get all the Strymon pedals. And, <laughs> yeah. and like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you'd be fine. Yeah. 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 I mean, honestly, I just got one in from... Uh, James Bowman, who he uh, plays guitar and against me, and he's been building pedals, and he sent me his clone clone, and it's fantastic. 
yeah, it's great. See, it's I like, can't fathom needing anything better than that. I really can't. Yeah. And have you tried the J Rocket stuff? I have. I played the Archer and the and the Icon. Uh, it's okay. been a while since I've played them, but yeah, I mean, they're good, right? Like, yeah, they they are. I've I've played both. I want to find a Dumble pedal that is great for humbuckers. Yeah, that's it. The Dumble stuff is kind of interesting because like that's a very specific sound and I've always been a little bit skeptical of it being easily recreated in pedal but but, but also like but Dumble also makes like specific amps he doesn't make just like a Dumble amp right he makes like a steel string singer or an overdrive special or you know like all these different variations mm-hmm. And they're going to be tailor-made to whatever that artist wants anyway. So it's I think it's hard to, like, nail a specific sound unless you're going for, like, if I wanted a dumbbell pedal to, to nail, like, a mayor tone, it's there, right? Because a lot of dumbbell pedals, I feel like, cater toward single-coil stuff. Yeah. The only dumbbell pedal I've found that isn't is the um, one that Amplified Nation makes. And they also make Dumble amp, like Dumble style amps too. And they like aesthetically, they look just like Dumbles as well. But those seem like they're geared a little more toward humbuckers. Um, and I haven't tried it yet, but that's that's what I found. It, the Dumble phenomenon is is so strange. Like, I don't know that that could ever happen again. No, I I, I don't think it. I don't think it's possible. There, there could not be another Alexander Dumble. I I just. It, that mystique and that whole like rock and roll time that he started doing that in, like, I think if somebody else tried that now, they would just be like, he was like, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, when, when Neil sat in with Bonamassa and they went to soundtrack beforehand, I'll never forget Neil's face plugging in uh, a 59 less Paul into a dumble at like full volume on stage. Oh, yeah. Like that w- was amazing. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah, that would be so much fun. It'd be such a good time. It was awesome. Is there is there a, a like a piece of gear, guitar, or otherwise that you regret selling? Well, that's the thing about me. I'm a bit of a hoarder when it comes to gear. Okay. Uh, I've I've only gotten rid of of one guitar in my life, and I definitely regret it. It was a weirdo Japanese short scale. Uh, it was a marquee brand. And um, I don't know who made it, if it was Taisco or what factory in Japan made it. Um, yeah. But it had four pickups. They were all microphonic. And it had a fantastic neck. And it was such a just a great, dirty, garage rock Like, just this snarly little beast. And I just, I really liked it. And it was really unique. And it looked really cool. But I got this hankering for this uh, 65 Melody Maker that I still own. And uh, I really love that guitar now. Uh, I got it all dialed in. And it's it's really, it's really an awesome guitar. It's like a double, it's the double pickup, double cut version. Not the SG body. Um, I don't even know what they call those, but... It's a cool guitar. But anyway, I I partially traded that Japanese guitar for this Melody Maker. Okay. And it sold later. It was at the store for a little while, but eventually somebody bought it. And I I saw an an old listing on Reverb that I know is that guitar because I recognize the wear on the body. (laughs) And so I don't know where it ended up, but 
they're so cool. Um, yeah. And what's cool about it is not all of those Japanese guitars from that era are very good. In fact, most of them aren't. But when you do uh-huh. get a good one, they're so quirky and special. And yeah, I, I really kicked myself because I only like only got like 250 or 300 bucks for it. And I definitely could have came up with 250 or 300. Bucks. Yeah. I was just trying to be quote unquote responsible and like, oh, I don't need this guitar. So I'll trade it, you know, and right. I should have just kept it. So that's that's and that's sealed the deal for me. That's why I haven't gotten rid of anything. That's, OK. Yeah. You learned your lesson. Yeah. I've sold one amp and I don't okay. I don't regret it. Um, it was a Fender, uh, bass breaker seven great uh-huh. amp. I just, I, I bought it, used it for a little while. And then I, I honestly, I bought it because the place I was jamming, uh, there was a couple of the guys that would smoke in the jam set in the, in the jam room and uh-huh. my nice amps would leave smelling like the 1970s. Oh, and okay. so I bought the bass breaker to jam in that situation, which I only did like a couple times because it didn't quite have the headroom I needed. Yeah. Um, but it's a cool amp, but I just, it was literally just collecting dust. So that one I didn't feel bad about moving on. But those are the only two things I've ever gotten rid of. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It, it might be a sign of a sickness. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's better than returning 30 guitars. <laughs> well, I guess. You know. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. Those poor guys' commission checks just didn't work out for them. And then I ended up being their boss, at, you know, a few years later. How did how did they like that? You're like, you're the guy who cost. Well, no, there's <laughs> there was so much turnover. There was only like one guy left. So we are getting close to the the end of the podcast, and we got a few classic questions to dive into before we wrap this thing up and and move on to Patreon. But uh, before we do, I like to give this moment to the guests to kind of say whatever you want. You have a message you want to get out to a few thousand people. You got something you want to you want to plug. You want to tell your mother you love her. Whatever you want to do, this is your your opportunity. Oh sure. Um, so if you want to check out my photo work, you can go to my Instagram. It's Steve Rose is underscore. So it's Steve underscore Rose. Or my website is Steve Rose Photos. Um, and then uh, just know that if you return gear, just know that there's a commission check being affected by it. So. Um, just don't buy and return a bunch of guitars in a month like I do. <laughs> that seems pretty pretty good. Yeah. Okay. We're getting into the classic questions now. Here we go. First of them being, what is your favorite boss pedal? A tuner. T- good old TU2. Yep. Lots of people say that. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's is it the first pedal tuner? I think it might be. It it might be. It's certainly one of the the most widely used, and it you know you can throw it off a building and it's still going to work. So, yeah. What more do you need? Yeah. It's, well, it's the only pedal I haven't like sold, so I know that I I need it or I like it. So, and but yeah, I think that's my favorite. I haven't played a lot of Boss pedals, but that's my favorite one at this point. All right, that's easy enough. All right, last question, and this is the one that gets people into you know a little bit of trouble here and there. So, here we go. What's your favorite kind of pizza? Uh, according to the tattoo on my arm, it's going to be a pepperoni and cheese. Oh man, my man! Yeah, a, a tattoo pizza tattoo. That's dead. So here's yeah. Well, here's what I did is um, you know the, like the 
the TCB logo, like the LVCU, like the taking care of business logo with the lightning bolt. I have that logo, but it's my wife's initials instead of the TCB. And then the lightning bolt is a pizza. So it's like, so. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, cheese is fine. Anything else is a salad or, or not interesting to me. You know, like I don't need bell peppers and, and everything else on it. Um, but, you know, I, I know your thoughts on pineapple pizza. I don't think it serves a purpose on a pizza. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think cheese or pepperoni is, is the extent. I'm also a very picky eater. So for me, that's being extravagant. Do you like thin crust, thick crust, like um, a, a favorite pizzeria? I, Per chance, by chance. Uh, let's see here. Favorite pizza. Well, if you're if your listeners are ever in Sherman Oaks, there's a good pizza spot called Mulberry. There's also a few others in the valley, like another chain of it in the valley. But Mulberry Pizza is pretty good. Um, but I like, uh, I guess, thin crust. But I also like a New York style. I want to be able to fold mm-hmm. it. You know, it's like the closest I'll get to origami is just folding a slice in half. And I think. I think that works for me. Yeah, I love I love a good New York slice. That's uh-huh. Mm, man, love that style. Yeah. All right on, man. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for for coming on and taking the time and all that. This was a was a good chat. Oh, I I loved it. Thank you for letting me let me blabber on about all the guitars I don't own anymore and all the <laughs> <laughs> the photo stuff I've done. But yeah, like you said is is what I've done can apply to any situation anyone's doing. Just Whatever you're doing, just keep doing it, trying to get better at it, like behind the scenes for yourself, and people will start to notice, and it'll start to work out for whatever you're trying to achieve. Perfect. I love it. All right, everybody. For Steve, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All righty, folks. I hope you enjoyed that show. I really enjoyed having a conversation with Steve. Make sure and go follow his Instagram, the link to which will be in the show notes. And yeah. You know, take his advice to heart. I think that he had some really good messages to share with anybody trying to pursue any kind of creative endeavor as a career, as I probably said a whole bunch of times on that episode. But I do think this stuff is really important, and it's uh, it's it's a very difficult way to make a living, as we all are painfully aware. I always find it's a good thing to hear from those who have, you know, quote-unquote made it. And uh, see how they did it, because there's no one single path to this thing. If you would like to hear more of this conversation, we chatted more for Patreon. So you can go to patreon.com slash tonemob, where for five bucks a month, you will get extra episodes delivered to your ears every week. There are hundreds, well, maybe not hundreds, but well over a hundred. We're probably knocking on 150. I haven't added it up. All I know is there are hours and hours and hours of extra content over there, including more with my guy Steve, and he tells some journey behind the scenes stuff, which is pretty cool. And yeah, that's it. Thank you all so much for listening to the show. Thank you so much for supporting. I will see you on the interwebs. You can follow me on Instagram. You can, you know, go to the YouTube. You can go to the Facebook group. If you're going to be on Facebook... You know, you might as well have fun and stop arguing with your uncle. You can go to the Facebook group. Just search The Tone Mob on Facebook. Topics include pretty much anything you can think of that would be on this podcast. It's going to be in there. And unlike most, 
I wouldn't say most, but unlike many groups on Facebook, it's a very healthy place. Uh, we do a pretty good job of keeping the riffraff out of there. So if you are riffraff, why don't you, you know, not join? Well, unless you're the right kind of riffraff. If you're the bad kind of riffraff, don't join. But if you're our kind of riffraff, the kind that likes food and gear and random stories and all that good stuff, go to The Tone Mob on Facebook where we are discussing all things podcast and gear and life and whatever. Okay. I'll talk to you next week, folks. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.